The sermon I am about to read was prepared by Dr. Wes Bradenhoff, minister of the Free Reformed Church of Lausiston, Tasmania, Australia. After the sermon, let's sing together from hymn 69, all stanzas. Beloved congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think anybody here this afternoon knows what it's really like to be in the middle of a battlefield. We now, we now have several generations of Canadians where very, very few of them know what a firefight is like. We have some men and women in our country who've been to Afghanistan and have faced battle with the Taliban. But other than that, the average Canadian only knows about war from reading it, watching it, or maybe playing it on a game console. But previous generations know it well. One of the defining moments of Canadian history was the battle for Vimy Ridge in World War I. Pierre Burton wrote a powerful account of the battle simply entitled Vimy. An army veteran himself, he captured quite well the experience of being on the battlefield. This is about the 42nd Battalion, the Royal Highlanders of Canada, known as the Black Watch. I quote, as the battalion drew nearer to the front, there came the faint rattle of machine guns and the whine of the occasional bullet overhead. All talking ceased as the troops in crouching position negotiated the wooden trench mats that lay in the slime beneath their feet. Occasionally a whisper was passed back from the company commander, step down, hole in mat, or wire underfoot. Sometimes the file would break and all would halt until it closed up. In the distance, Bill Breckenridge could see the sky light up with the star shell that fell over the no man's land. As the company entered the forward lines, the only sound was the thud of heavy boots. The front lay just ahead. Beyond that were the great mine craters in which centuries were posted. Beyond that lay the dead world of no man's land. And beyond that, invisible in the darkness, the great bulk of the ridge. The battalion that had been garrisoning the line was about to be relieved by the black washed watch. Relieved is the proper word, for relief was written on their face of those who were, had survived a week of standing at the alert, eating cold food, sleeping in their clothes, 12 hours on, 12 hours off, never free of rats, lice, rain, snow or mud, and the constant hammering of the guns." End quote. We can hardly imagine what it must have been like to be a soldier there at Vimy Ridge almost 100 years ago. And yet, Scripture tells us that we, all believers, are soldiers. We are all supposed to be engaged in a battle against powerful enemies who are bent on our destruction. This image of the Christian as a soldier is one that can be difficult for us to connect with today because of the lack of familiarity with war on physical battlefields. War and battle are so far removed from our everyday experience, we can be thankful for that. But that does not make it, that, that does make it more difficult to understand what Scripture is speaking about when it says that we are soldiers on the battlefield. When Scripture uses the language of war and soldiers, it sometimes doesn't fully register. That is something that needs to be addressed. We need to address it because the enemy wants nothing more than for us to be oblivious to the fact that we're at war. He wants to be, us to be complacent and out of touch with what's really going on. An unprepared and inattentive target is an easy mark. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 20, is a well-known passage which speaks of the Christian soldier. The army of the soldier is laid out for us, the belt of truth, 
the breastplate of righteousness, shoes made up of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. We could have a whole series of sermons on each of these elements. There is a lot there. But I want to draw your attention this afternoon to what it says in verse 18. After laying out the armor, Paul then adds, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The armor will not do us any good without prayer in the Spirit. Our Lord Jesus therefore teaches us along these lines in the last petition and conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. He gives instruction for Christian soldiers who are supposed to be engaged in battle. Our theme for this afternoon is, Our Savior teaches Christian soldiers to pray. We will see that we're taught to pray, to know ourselves, to know our enemies, and to know God. As soldiers engage in battle, they have to know their capabilities. They have to know their strengths and their weaknesses. If they don't, they can be decimated by the enemy. In the world of military strategy, commanders are always careful to have a realistic assessment of the capabilities of the, of the forces under their command, and then they plan their work accordingly. Our commander is wise and observant. He knows his soldiers intimately. He knows our weaknesses, as the scripture says in Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And in John 15, he says that if we were, in John 15, he says that if we were not organically connected to him, if we were not grafted into him like a branch onto a vine, we would not survive. Christ is our commander-in-chief, and he has a most realistic assessment of his soldiers. We need to listen to his assessment and then work with the assessment in the right way. Our catechism summarizes Christ's assessment with those words at the beginning of question and answer 127. In ourselves, we are so weak that we cannot stand for even a moment. We are faced with battles against temptation. Temptations come at us from all kinds of different angles. They come in all kinds of different packages. Temptations are often custom-delivered for the individual soldiers. Let me give some examples. One person feels no temptation or attraction to gluttonous eating. For the other person, it's the one thing that challenges them time and time again, every single day. The other person feels no temptation or attraction to pornography. For the other person, it's a battle, again and again. Still another person is tempted again and again to look down their noses at those who struggle with disordered eating or pornography or other sins. Their temptation is the sin of pride. You get the idea. There are probably as many different forms of temptation as there are people sitting here this afternoon. All of us, every single one of us, without exception, we are all faced with a battle. Some of us realize it already and feel it powerfully from day to day. Others are in danger of becoming desensitized to it, perhaps already are. Let me ask, where are you? Do you feel the reality of the spiritual battle against temptation? If you do, there's good news. Your Savior is there to help you. He helps you, first of all, with that realistic assessment of yourself. By yourself, you are cannon fodder. By yourself, you are meat for the grinder. By yourself, you are spiritual toast. In ourselves, we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. That is reality. If you are looking for inner strength, 
you're going to be disappointed because you have none. Zero. Nada. By giving you that realistic self-assessment as a Christian soldier, your commander wants to bring you to your knees. He wants to bring you to prayer. Prayer turns us outward. Prayer makes us turn away from ourselves and turn to another. We are to look for strength somewhere else other than from within ourselves. We are to ask for help and strength from our God. When we pray along the lines of the sixth petition, we recognize that we are helpless in ourselves, but we have a mighty and powerful king who is able and willing to help us. Do you realize how countercultural what we are hearing is? The world around us proclaims something totally different. We live in a world where New Age teachings dominate. We seem to hear a lot about yoga these days. A popular yoga instructor says on our website that it's all about finding the spirit and strength within you. Another popular yoga website encourages practitioners to channel their inner goddess. Jeremy Rifkin is a New Age prophet. He writes, it's our creation now. We make the rules. We establish the parameters of reality. We are responsible to nothing outside of ourselves, for we are the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. That totally flies in the face of the teaching of our Lord Jesus. These kinds of ideas are waging war against what Christ says. He says that we are weak in ourselves, so weak we can't even stand for a moment. Jesus says that the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to God. Therefore, we need to pray to him. We do not search inside ourselves for some hidden strength because we will always ultimately be disappointed. Instead, Christian soldiers look outward and upward. We do, not, we do that with the realistic self-assessment of our commander, which leads us to pray. We pray for his help and his strength as we face battle with our temptations. Loved ones, I urge you not to listen to any voice that will ever tell you otherwise. Ignore anyone who ever tells you to look inside yourself for strength. It's not there, and it's foolish to think otherwise. You need to be looking outward and upward. That is where Christian soldiers find their help. Don't we confess that at the beginning of every service, our help was in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth? Brothers and sisters, believe it. Not only on Sunday, but every day of the week, and then pray accordingly. We also need to know our enemies, our second point. At the Battle of Vimy Ridge in 1917, the Allied forces had a remarkable new tool at their disposal. The aircraft came into its own as a military weapon during World War I. They were used as fighters deployed against other fighters, and some were used as bombers. But at Vimy, aircraft were mostly used as ob for observation purposes. They supplemented the observation balloons. Allied commanders used aircraft and balloons to observe the Germans so that they could know their enemy, their positions, their capabilities, their weaknesses, and so on. Every good military commander wants to have the best intel on his enemy. We have the best military commander who has the most thorough intel on our enemies. Our Lord Jesus is totally on top of our enemies, on top of who our enemies are, where they are, and where they can and what they can and cannot do, 
and far more. In the world of military operations, commanders do not always share all their intel with soldiers and with the front lines. Usually it's on a need-to-know basis. However, in our spiritual warfare, our commander has, the fa has in fact given us a great deal of intel about our enemies. Christ knows that we need it, and so he has equipped us with it. Let's look at Ephesians 6 once again. There the Lord informs us about some of our enemies. Verse 11 speaks about the schemes of the devil. It is him that we need to withstand. The armor of God is designed to protect Christian soldiers against the schemes of Satan. Remember the name Satan literally means enemy. He is God's enemy, but he is also ours, a powerful enemy. Like Peter says in 1 Peter 5, he is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Then look at verse 16. The Lord tells us about how we need to take up the shield of faith so that we can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. This verse uses imagery from the world of ancient warfare. As the movie Gladiator begins, it portrays a military force firing arrows with tips tipped in tar and set on fire. To answer that, defending forces would take their large shields and dampen them. The flaming darts would then be extinguished. So that is the picture being used there in Ephesians 6, verse 16. We have a powerful enemy firing flaming arrows at us. One or more of these flaming arrows would definitely include temptations to sin. Satan and his forces send us messages such as, why not give in this one time? If you want, you'll always have time to repent later on. Meanwhile, what you forget is that one time leads to one more time, and one more time leads to a vicious circle of many more times. That is exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to forget or ignore the warnings of Scripture against just this one time. Moreover, you do not know whether there will be time to repent later on. You don't know the hours and the days of your life. If you think you can live in sin now and repent later, you are taking a foolish and wicked gamble, presuming upon the Lord and his plan for your life. To quench these, to quench these sorts of flaming arrows, we need to sh the shield of faith. What we need is to focus our attention upwards again on Jesus Christ. An essential part of that is going to be prayer. When we are faced with temptations, we need to pray in faith for his deliverance. We need to pray like this. I'm faced with this temptation, Lord. I can't stand by myself. Help me with your Holy Spirit so that, I may, so that I won't be defeated. Please help me to resist my enemy so that I can persevere to the end and obtain the complete victory. But we have more enemies. We also face the world of unbelief. The world also wants to bring us to defeat, to turn us away from Christ and live in him. The world will often mock us for our faith and seek to get us to conform to, the value, to its values and ideals. The world stands against Christ. Now our unbelieving friends and neighbors need now, now our unbelieving friends and neighbors need our compassion. We need to pray for them, pray that the Lord would open their hearts for the gospel. We need to pray for opportunities to share the good news with them. 
These unbelieving friends and neighbors, co-workers and so on, they are part of the world. That world that is our sworn enemy. We need to be careful to maintain our sense of antithesis while at the same time having love and compassion for lost sinners. It's difficult to get away from the fact that the world is made up of individual lost sinners. It's also difficult to get away from the fact that the world is our enemy. So, on the one hand, we need to love them and pray for them. But on the other hand, we have to be aware that they are part of a principle that opposes itself to the gospel and to Christians. This is difficult to understand and all the more difficult to live out. There is often a tension here. And this tension should bring us also to prayer. When we think about our sworn enemy, the world, we need to pray for the Lord to help in loving our enemies, while at the same time not being deceived or conquered by their temptations. And no doubt the world offers temptations. The Lord can give us wisdom to navigate these, while at the same time having the love and compassion that we need for lost sinners. To receive that wisdom, we need to pray and ask for it. Our last enemy mentioned in the Catechism is the traitor within each of us. Each believer has leftovers of sinful nature. These remnants wage war against the new nature in Christ. Because the enemy is within, and because this is a type of guerrilla warfare, we are especially susceptible to this enemy. We are always hearing that we need to just trust ourselves and follow our hearts. But listen to what scripture says in Proverbs 28, verse 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. A more literal translation would read, whoever trusts in his own heart is a fool. God's word is exactly right. Do not be a fool. Do not trust yourself and the voices from within. You have a traitor within your own heart, and that traitor could lead you astray and destroy you. About this about this enemy, we need to be aware and we need to be in prayer. This enemy does not cease to attack and try to deceive us. If we don't pray about it, our own flesh could bring us down to defeat. So brothers and sisters, pray along the lines that our Savior teaches us. Pray like this, Father, I have a traitor within. Help me to resist it. Help me to put what's left of my sinful nature to death. Please help me do this with your Holy Spirit. Please let me see the sinful nature be more and more weakened and destroyed. So we're taught to pray to know ourselves that we are weak. We are taught to pray for the help of knowing our enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. Finally, we're taught to pray to know God, our last point. If we follow the catechism summary of Scripture, that is what Christian soldiers can say about their God. He can uphold and strengthen us. His Holy Spirit has power to help us resist our enemies so that we persevere to the end. Look at the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. For For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. From that, we can say that God is our King. He has sovereign power over all things, He is willing to give us all that is good. He is able to give us all that is good. Moreover, if we look at the last question and answer and what it says about that little word, amen, we can be confident that he hears the voice of Christian soldiers in prayer. 
Intellectually, most of us know these things. We usually know these things in the abstract, don't we? But it's quite another thing to have these things firmly fixed in your heart so that when you are in the middle of a spiritual battle, you can draw the strength you need from them. Because we need to remember that we're speaking about spiritual things and we're naturally weak in that department. Our natural weakness means that we usually forget who our God is and what he will do for us on the battlefield. Again, this highlights the need for us to pray. We recognize that we are dependent on someone other than ourselves. We need his help, and to get his help, we need to ask for it. The way we ask for it is through prayer. In our prayers, we can and should ask for a deeper and richer knowledge of God, a knowledge that goes deep not only in our minds, but also in our hearts, in the very deepest corners of who we are. We should ask the Lord to more abundantly reveal himself to us through his word. Do you think you already know everything there is to know about God? Or do you always have everything there is to know about God at your fingertips, so to speak? I do not. And I do not believe any of us here do. But the knowledge of God from his word is what will give us strength on the battlefield. For that reason, we need to pray earnestly for it. If you pray for a deeper knowledge of God with heartfelt longing, God will answer. I guarantee it. How? Because this is part of a prayer which undoubtedly pleases God. With that, we come again to the end of the catechism. Our catechism begins with a sure and certain comfort. There's not a shred of doubt in Lord's Day 1. With certainly certainty, we confess that we have comfort in life and death in Christ. And as we end the catechism, we end again with certainty. Amen means it is true and certain. We can have certainty in life and death and with our prayers because of our Savior and what God has done through him. Brothers and sisters, fellow Christian soldiers, keep your eyes fixed on our commander-in-chief, Jesus, and he will bring you the complete victory Amen. It is true and certain.